the History Channel original podcast. Sports history this week. January 17th, 1951. I'm Kalen Jones. Under the lights of Madison Square Garden, Junius Kellogg is nervous. The 23-year-old Army veteran plays center for the Manhattan College basketball team, which is about to go up against DePaul University. The game gets underway. He fouls, takes a shot, he misses. Then he fouls again and misses another shot. It's not clear why Kellogg is playing so badly. The coaches aren't going to question it. They pull him out for a replacement who makes shot after shot. But it's not enough. Manhattan College loses. Later that night, the local district attorney's office sends men to begin making arrests. Three gamblers and two men affiliated with Manhattan College are charged with conspiracy and bribery. Turns out, Junius Kellogg's poor performance helped make this happen. Those were the first arrests. That was the moment at which the foul stench that was kind of bubbling beneath the surface began to sort of come to the surface. Today, the gambling phenomenon plaguing college basketball nationwide begins to crumble. How were gamblers able to attract players from the nation's most prominent programs into their scheme? And when the greed went too far, how did it all come crashing down? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's March 14, 1950, in Midtown Manhattan. The sidewalks bustle with crowds of people. In the evening, the orange and blues of Times Square light the way for pedestrians. Crowds pass dance halls, hotels, and newsstands before approaching the ultimate destination, Madison Square Garden. Tonight's event is bigger than any Broadway show. The city's own CCNY, or City College of New York, will battle in the premier men's college basketball competition, the National Invitation Tournament or NIT. At the time, it's more prominent than the NCAA tournament. City College is a surprise contender. They just barely made it into the postseason and hold the lowest seeded position. They were not favored to win any of the games. This is Matthew Goodman, author of the book, The City Game. CCNY may not be the favorite, but they have already taken down their first opponent, the University of San Francisco. Now in the quarterfinal, they're facing the number two seeded team, 
the University of Kentucky, led by the perennially successful coach, Adolph Rupp. They were sort of to college basketball what the New York Yankees were to professional baseball. They were kind of the glamour team. Every seat in the house is filled. Some of the 18,000 fans squint through tobacco smoke. And here's the game. The Southerners show some passing skill, then try for their first basket and miss. DCNY takes over. Nat Holman's boys from City aren't supposed to have a chance. Some experts claim they don't even belong in the tournament, but they proceed to uncork a brand of basketball that sends 18,000 fans into delirium. City scored the first 12 points of the game. Kentucky didn't score a basket for the first five minutes of the game. The City Beavers are playing quick, snappy basketball. They can maneuver a fast break with precision, leaving the opposing side breathless. It was a game of sort of constant motion. They played a game that was very different from the sort of game that we would recognize today. The team has such great chemistry, there's barely a need to call plays. The game ends. CCNY wins in a blowout. That was the moment at which City College really made its mark on the stage, the national stage. In the spring of 1950, New York erupts. Members of the team become instant celebrities. CCNY and its city have a special relationship. They became kind of symbolic of New York for the people of New York. They had a different kind of feel to them. These were kids who had grown up taking the subway. They had grown up sleeping, you know, on the the roofs of their buildings in the summertime. The team also looks different than other college squads. It's integrated, with its starting five made up solely of Black and Jewish kids. City College itself had a kind of vaunted history in New York City. It had assimilated generations of New York City immigrants into the life of New York City, giving them a kind of education for free that they never would have been able to get anywhere else. It was known as Harvard on the Hudson. For a school known for its strong academics, it was surprising to have such a good basketball program. At the time, college basketball was not nearly as popular nationwide as it is today. But in New York City, college basketball was the biggest game in town. It was bigger than football and certainly bigger than professional basketball. The CCNY Beavers had a much easier time filling out Madison Square Garden than the New York Knicks, an actual pro team. When there was a scheduling conflict and there was a college game and a professional game, the Knicks were the team that got moved downtown. After destroying Kentucky, City College takes down Pittsburgh's Duquesne University. Then, the NIT Finals against Bradley University, the top seed in the tournament. Inside Madison Square Garden, Bradley gets off to a hot start. CCNY is not used to playing from behind. But they claw back anyway and cut the lead to three points. In the second half, the teams trade leads back and forth, back and forth. But at the end, CCNY defeats the mighty Bradley, 69-61. to And 
become national invitation champions. It was a huge upset. That was the first national championship that City College had ever won. So it was a huge celebration on the campus. The team takes a photo with the mayor on the steps of City Hall. The New York Journal American calls them New York's darling. There's little time to enjoy their success. With the NIT playoffs over, the CCMY Beavers now have the NCAA tournament to worry about. No team has ever won both titles in the same season. And again, they make it to the final. And again, face Bradley University. Bradley tries a new defensive strategy intended to counter City's quickness, but it doesn't make any difference. City wins the game, the championship, and the first Grand Slam in basketball history. Teammates Rush Major and City coach Nat Holman. It's a great moment for a great team. City College canceled its classes for the first time in the history of the college. The bell at City College, which hadn't been rung in 50 years, rang seven times, one for each of the tournament victories. It's the summer after City College's double championship in 1950. Like so many of New York's Jewish residents, CCNY's leading scorer, Eddie Roman, finds himself in the Catskills, a lush, mountainous getaway in upstate New York. At the Hotel Brickman, the six-foot-six Roman is getting the dining room ready. He's a waiter in the Catskills, like a lot of college basketball players. They hire these guys ostensibly as waiters and as busboys, as lifeguards and so forth. And that's how they were getting paid. But really, they were there to play basketball, to play basketball against other hotels. Fellow City College teammate Ed Warner serves as a busboy at the nearby Klein's Hillside Hotel. The Ambassador Hotel shipped in the entire Bradley team as their squad. Just imported the team whole hog. Basketball is treated like just another attraction for guests. Hotels would put on volleyball games, art classes, mambo nights, Why not a basketball game? To heighten the stakes, there was gambling too. It was many players' first introduction to the shadier side of their sport. In a nearby hotel, Salvatore Salazzo finds himself in deep financial trouble. Once upon a time, the stocky, balding 45-year-old made a fortune investing in platinum. His greed only grew with his ostentatious lifestyle and appetite for gambling. He started selling gold on the black market, building shell companies, and finding ways to dodge income taxes. By the summer of 1950, though, the IRS is breathing down Salazzo's neck. They want to check his books, which would not be good for him. When he sets up shop at Grossinger's Hotel, he's looking for an opportunity. It was at Grossinger's, which was the biggest of the hotels, where Salazzo was staying that he met Eddie Gard. Eddie Gard. The Long Island University senior had been making money while playing college basketball by taking bribes in a scheme known as point shaving. 
With point shaving, you're not trying to lose the game. You're still trying to win the game. You're just trying to come in under the points, right? So if you're favored to win by nine, you know, you can still win by eight or seven or six or, you know, you're just trying to manipulate the score such that a gambler who bet the under is going to win. While Guard's plot was working, he wants to go bigger and needs more cash. Enter Salazzo. Between the two of them, they were trying to create a situation in which they would make a lot of money on their bets. And, you know, through Eddie Guard, who knew a number of these players, they ended up involving players from, you know, these other schools. With the plan in mind, Guard and Salazzo drive the winding Catskill roads, meeting player after player. Guard even targets guys on the CCNY squad, getting Al Roth in on it first. He wants Roth to talk to his teammates, saying a guy can make as much as $15,000 a year. And by the way, you know that the promoter has gotten rich from this game. And Ned Irish started out as a promoter making $48 a week as a sports writer and now was making $150,000 a year and lived in an 11-room apartment on Park Avenue, right? And you see that everybody is getting paid. By summer's end, all of Guard's efforts were starting to pay off with the CCNY players. But it still wasn't yet clear if they were in or out. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's December of 1950. CCNY is coming off its double championship season. Because of that, they've gone from underdogs to favorites. In their third game of this new season, they're up against the University of Missouri, another top 10 team. But in the first half, City just looks awful. Missouri goes on a 17-to-zip run. This is last year's two-time champions, a team that had won their first two games, and yet tonight look unrecognizable. They were forcing unrealistic passes, taking shots prematurely, and fouling with too much aggression. One mistake after another. The assistant coach yells, what the hell's happening out there? He tries to get city coach Nat Holman to put the backups in, but he doesn't listen. 
City loses 54 to 37. A few weeks after the Missouri game, when City takes on the University of Arizona, a sports writer notes that there's clearly something wrong. Turnovers, straight passes, lapses on defense. On January 11, 1951, CCNY loses another one to Boston College. And again, their performance looks suspicious. It's not clear what's happening to this top-tier squad. People had all sorts of explanations for it. Maybe it's injuries. The year after a championship, people felt like maybe they're not trying as hard. Maybe they've gotten too big for their britches. In reality, it wasn't injuries. It wasn't ego. It was point shaving. Eddie Gard, the LIU basketball senior, Catskills waiter, and point shaving schemer, put a lot of work in trying to convince the CCNY players to join in his gambling operation. CCNY center Eddie Roman wouldn't do it unless his teammate Ed Warner was in. Floyd Lane refused multiple times, but eventually agreed. After all, the payout for each game is considerable. $1,500 a person. More than $17,000 today. Again, CCNY is intending to win these games, just under the spread. In other words, under a specific margin set by the betting public. Our producer, David Ingber, is familiar with the world of gambling. So if your team is, let's say, favored by 10 points, in order to successfully point shave, you want to win the game by, let's say, 7 or 8 or 9 points so that the people who are betting on the underdog, they win their bet, but the favorite team, they still win the game, and that way you don't arouse any new suspicions. Instead, the City Beavers were losing so not doing a very good job making the point shaving work. There was something about it that seemed to go against their ethos, right? And their game, which was so focused on playing together and working together, it just didn't work. 23-year-old Junius Kellogg is in his dorm room. He's a student and center for the basketball team at Manhattan College. A man comes to Kellogg's door who once played for the same basketball team, Hank Pop. This is not a social call. Pop offers Kellogg $1,000 to fix an upcoming game against DePaul. Kellogg says he'd consider it. But instead, he goes to his coach. Junius Kellogg is one of the guys who were sort of presented as a kind of alternative to the actions of these players. Kellogg later explains his actions clearly. He's on a basketball scholarship and worries even knowing about the plot could jeopardize that. Not to mention, an unfair target could be placed on his back as the first African-American person to ever play on the school's basketball team. The Bronx district attorney puts together a plan to crack down on the plot. He wants Kellogg to wear a wire, pretend to accept the offer, and then attempt to shave points during the game. DePaul is favored to win, but gamblers want Manhattan to lose by at least 10 points. Kellogg has to play a part in that by playing badly. And he does. He keeps fouling and fouling. He's pulled from the game after scoring 12 points. 
Manhattan ends up losing 63 to 59. And law enforcement decides it has enough to begin making arrests. That night, police arrest Hank Pop and Jack Burns, both former Manhattan college players, along with three gamblers. The next day, the papers erupt with the news, and the public is shocked. The president of the NBA calls the scheme a cancer. But only Manhattan college players have been arrested. CCNY players start to sweat. Because they saw what could happen, and they began to suspect that the police were looking for them. They're considering turning themselves in. And they began to try to pull back. They agree. No more point shaving. But by that point, the damage had been done. For weeks, the Manhattan DA has been building a case of their own. Eddie Gard's phone had already been wiretapped, and police were watching him around the clock. Remember, he was the one who convinced the CCNY players to join the scheme in the first place. And other city players are having their phones tapped now, too. The House of Cards is about to fall. On uh, February night, 1951, the City College team are coming back from a game in Philadelphia against Temple, a game that they won. It was actually, ironically, their best game of the season. Uh, it's about 1.30 in the morning on a rainy night. It's like something out of a film noir movie. They don't realize that with them on the train are two detectives from the New York City District Attorney's Office. And when they get down to the platform, they're met by two other detectives. And five of them were informed that they were being taken down to the district attorney's office on a suspicion of being involved in conspiring with gamblers to alter the score of a competition. At the police station, cops lied to the players and say their teammates have already confessed that the wiretaps would be enough in court. Ultimately, the players do break down. It was the confessions of the players that provided enough evidence for them to actually arrest them and charge them. And the next morning, they are taken to the precinct house on Elizabeth Street in Lower Manhattan and are booked and are photographed for the the newspapers. And the next day, they're on the front page of the papers being charged. And as I said, they went overnight from heroes to villains. Oh my goodness. Here's a newscast from the time. Scandal rocks the basketball world. A young man caught in this web of gambling intrigue presented a tragic scene. The documentary City Dump includes reactions from fans who remember watching it unfold. Absolutely complete shock. Tears came to my eyes. I couldn't believe it. This can't be the case. There must be a mistake. Radio, TV, and newspaper reporters flooded the CCNY campus. How could last year's champions, the Cinderella kids from the year before, do this to their community, to their city? There was just a sense of collective grief on the campus. I I talked to one guy who said that he would not experience anything like that again until, until the assassination of President Kennedy. You know, it was that sort of level of 
collective grief that was felt on the campus of City College. It wasn't just CCNY. The whole point-shaving scheme was falling apart. The Manhattan district attorney calls the whole business loathsome, pathetic. I believe it was 33 players were ultimately arrested from, you know, schools around the country. Kids from St. John's, New York University, Bradley University, Kentucky, those arrested admit to taking bribes between 1947 and 1950 to fix 86 games in 17 states. Coaches are taking it, gamblers too, even Salazzo, who ends up getting eight to 16 years in state prison. CCNY's Ed Warner gets six months in jail. Most players end up taking plea deals. Some could defer punishment by joining the army, an option that wasn't afforded to two African-American players. They were the ones who, who went to prison for the crime that everybody else had committed as well. Hank Pop, the guy who bribed Junius Kellogg, is placed on three years probation. When all is said and done, it's unclear how college basketball will proceed. Some believe it could be the end of the game itself. It was kind of touch and go there for a while because there was a kind of revulsion in the public mind against the college game once it began to become clear that a lot of the top teams were involved in this kind of thing. So I do think that the college game began to kind of hang in the balance. What you saw was that the NBA stepped in to kind of fill the breach, to present itself as the clean alternative. Most of the schools affiliated with the scandal see their basketball programs tank. CCNY stops investing in their program and would never return to Madison Square Garden. The focus of the college basketball world moves south. So that was really the beginning of this sort of boom of North Carolina basketball. So, you know, there were a lot of uh, long-term after-effects of the scandal. But by the time the dust settles... The sense was, okay, well, you know, we've got the bad guys. We've cleaned up the game now. This kind of thing isn't going to happen again. Matthew Goodman feels law enforcement didn't really handle the root of the problem with the point-shaving scheme. I think that there should have been a much more radical, by which I mean deeper, investigation into corruption in New York. You had a situation in which there was corruption involving detectives, involving policemen on the street, involving politicians, involving the colleges, involving the Catskills hotels who are hiring these guys. If that sort of investigation had gone on, I think perhaps there would have been a much more fundamental cleaning out of corruption. Not only that, but the popular story makes the CCNY guys out to be the bad actors, to blame the players for what was a systemic issue. Goodman pleads to those who hear this story to think of the nuances at play. Part of the reason that I wrote this book is because the players were forever cast into shadow by this scandal. You know, they were vilified in the papers as amoral, corrupt, greedy kids who were willing to sell out 
their school, their city, their team for a, a quick buck. And as I discovered, the real story is far more complicated than that. For example, Eddie Roman just wanted to help his family with their mortgage. Floyd Lane to buy a washing machine for his mom. They all had different motivations, different responses to the scandal and so forth. Far more complicated and perhaps understandable than the kind of caricature of them that you would see in the headlines of the newspapers. And ultimately, this story is about much more than a point-shaving scandal. This is really a story about temptation. This is a story about morality. This is a story about the role of athletics in society. And really, in the kind of the most fundamental sense, this is a story about power and a story about corruption and a story about what happens when power is left to operate unchecked by morality, you know, and the law, and the ways in which powerful people often get away, whereas less powerful people do not. Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1958. Willie O'Ree becomes the first black player in the National Hockey League. 2004. 14-year-old soccer phenom Freddie Adu is taken in the Major League Soccer Super Draft, seen as the savior of American soccer. If you want to get in touch, feel free to email us at sportspod at history.com or leave a voicemail at 212-351-0410. We'd love to hear from our fans and non-fans too. Special thanks to Matthew Goodman, author of The City Game, Triumph, Scandal, and a Legendary Basketball Team. Learn more about The Greater Scandal by checking out his book, this episode was produced by Cooper McKim. Story edited by me, Kalen Jones, and sound design by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by David Ingber. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.